Good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome. If you're new, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it is my privilege to open up God's Word with you uh, this morning. We are in our series, The King and the Kingdom. Our, our journey through the Gospel of Matthew this year, we're on chapter 13. You can begin to work your way to Matthew chapter 13. Um, sometimes people ask me, since I've been a pastor for 20 years, when you go up to speak, do you ever feel nervous? And my answer is, I'm terrified. I'm always terrified. Uh, not because it's the number one fear of Americans, but because of what the Bible is going to tell us uh, about those of us that would have the audacity to stand up here and open up God's word and say to you, hey, this is what God has for you. The, the one who is eternal and glorious, this is what God has for you. And so James chapter 3 verse 1 says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, because you know those of us that teach will be judged more harshly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that uh, those that shepherd the, and, and teach will, will have to give an account before the Holy One of the universe uh, on how we do that. And so I, I feel uh, a, a, a genuine holy terror every time I'm up here, not because I'm worried I'm going to mess up or I'm going to say things wrong. I am, uh, but because I know that I, I am uh, standing before uh, not just you, but before the Holy One of the universe. And he says, don't take this lightly. Because the, the word is also going to tell us that many will come and they will twist this word uh, for their own purposes. Some will come and twist it to take advantage of women. The, the Bible says that and we see that. Some will come and, and take this to uh, bring glory to themselves rather than deflect that to the one who is worthy of all glory and honor. And we see that. It says some will be peddlers of the word of God to make themselves rich and God hates that. So both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, on repeat, God is warning those that would do what I'm doing now. And so there is a weight, and, and as I study during the week, I, uh, and I listen to other sermons and read commentaries and, and pray over it, uh, I, I'm doing all that, but by Friday night... Uh, you, you probably won't ever see us out in, in the town because I'm disconnected from my family and uh, I'm praying over the text. And I'm just pleading with the Lord in this moment, would you please uh, do something in me? Help me understand. Help me to preach this uh, for your glory with your spirit's power. And, and all day Saturday, I'm just kind of praying over that and practicing and clarifying. So, so there is a weight to me. That's why I'm terrified. But Matthew chapter 13 is going to tell us today, and the rest of the Bible says, there is a weight on you right now. There is a weight on how you hear the Word of God, how you interact in the Word of God in the same way that there is a, that there is a responsibility that, that you have, and Jesus is going to put that on, on you today. And he's going to say there's, there's going to be those that come, and they're going to hear it as they want to hear it, but not as God would have them hear it. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul warns him, he says, there is a day coming when, when people will surround themselves with teachers. They won't put up with sound teaching, but they'll surround themselves with teachers that, that itch their ears, that, that say only the things they want to hear. And so uh, we, we can build massive uh, edifices to ourselves and massive churches uh, that, that kind of surround that whole thing. But Jesus is going to warn us. He's going to say, be very, very careful how you hear. There, there, are, there, there are eternal things at stake. 
when God's living word is being proclaimed or you're interacting with it on your own quiet time or you're in a Bible study, know that, 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 that eternity is at stake in those moments. So Jesus can say, be careful how you're here. So we're in this series, The King and the Kingdom. And uh, I said a few months ago uh, when we were in chapter 6 that I think the thesis verse of, Matthew, uh, of the book of Matthew is Matthew six thirty three, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. But seek first. Do you think that's a little bit odd? It implies that in some way, shape, or form, the kingdom is hidden. If we have to seek it to find it, it's just not obvious. And that, that would have been a strange thing. Seek first the kingdom. Because uh, in, in their time, when Caesar rolls in with his army, it's obvious where Caesar's kingdom is. And it comes with power. It comes with force. It comes with authority. It comes with a kind of glory. So, so when Jesus is talking to us about the kingdom and he turns everything upside down and he says, you, if you want to be my follower, seek first. Or it could be translated, seek only seek passionately the kingdom of God and and so Jesus is now going to teach us in Matthew 13 his what's called the third discourse in in the book of Matthew there's five there's the sermon on the mount that there was the the discourse of the sending out of the disciples and now the discourse of parables And he's going to tell us in parables about the kingdom. And again, it's not going to be like the kingdoms of this world. It's going to be upside down. And he's going to explain some things. This passage in Matthew chapter 13 isn't primarily exhortation. Here's what you need to do. It's explanation. It's how come Jesus can have thousands, sometimes 20, 30,000 people come out and hear his message and have such wildly different responses to the message. How come a people of God that that have been longing for, praying for, uh, waiting for the Messiah to come and establish his kingdom, how come when that king comes, the vast, vast majority miss it? How come uh, all these things are going on? Jesus is going to explain that. He's going to say, I'll tell you why. And he points us to the parable of, well, in your Bible, it probably says the parable of the sower, but it should actually be the parable of the soils. And so as I say every week, and uh, even more so now as I've set this up, I'd ask you to listen carefully. This is God's word. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along a path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit, asking for you to grant us what you command us. Give us ears to hear that we might hear from your Spirit. 
that the soil of our heart might be cultivated by your spirit and that we might live lives with just the weight of eternity and the weight of glory, loving you and loving people well. So teach us now, Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. He who has ears, let him hear. We, we all know of the experience of hearing, but not actually hearing, right? Every married person knows this. Every parent knows this. Hearing, but not actually hearing. Uh, I confess and admit, oftentimes my wife says to me, hey, uh, we're going to go do that thing or whatever. We agreed on this. We're going to uh, make it buy that. And I'll be like, what are you talking about? And she'll be like, no, no, we talked about this. I'm like, we, we did? She's like, yeah, you, we had a whole conversation where you said this would happen if we did it. I was like, uh, was I watching the Lakers? Well, yeah, you were watching the Lakers, but uh, okay, uh, was it the fourth quarter? Yeah, was it the playoffs? Yeah, I, I was probably just saying whatever to get you away from me at that moment. I, I was not hearing you, uh, but whatever you said, I'm sure uh, we, we agree with. Like, you've all experienced that, right? Like, so as, as a pastor, we do premarital counseling, and, and, and the goal is to help people, help married people learn how to communicate. And it's hard. It's hard to hear because so, so often we talk over one another, and we're not actually hearing. And so we do the slow work of hearing and repeating and then saying, no, that's not what I said, uh, that that's hard. I mean, again, everyone that has kids know, like, how many times have you said, I've told you 10,000 times, didn't, didn't you hear me? And they're like, yeah, I heard you, but I didn't actually hear you. I mean, isn't this the, the, the biggest problem that we face in our country right now where we're so divided and we're, we, we pour our own meaning and definitions into terms and we lob those to the other side and, and expect them to land and then they lob theirs back, but, but we're not actually hearing each other? And Jesus says, be careful how you hear. He who has ears, let him hear. And so this is, what you just heard was the parable that Jesus said to the massive crowds. Now, that there's an irony to this parable. The irony is because it's probably the third most famous parable behind the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. Because it's so familiar, if you have any background in church at all, uh, or even in Western civilization, you, you know already where this is going. You're like, I know what the soils are. I know what that is. I got that. And we'll just all assume we're the good soil. And the great irony in that is that you just stay on the surface and you actually miss what Jesus has for us. So all that the crowd hears is what we just heard. And, and, and imagine how the crowd feels about that. So, so Jesus gets, gets this massive crowd. He goes out on the boat and he's looking at, at, off the shores of Galilee and he looks out in the, into the distance and he sees a farmer sowing his field. And even today in, the, in Palestine, what they would do is that they would have bags of seed and they would grab a handful and just with a really good technique, they would do what, what, where we get the term broadcast. They would broadcast the seed over just the ground and then the, maybe that afternoon or the next day, they would, they would till it. So it would literally just be on the ground and then it would be folded into the field from there. And so Jesus, maybe he sees this off in the distance and, and he says, um, he begins to talk to the crowd. And he says, I, I want to tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. See that farmer over there? That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he, he begins to explain the different places where the seed lands. And imagine if you're in that crowd. How are you feeling in that moment? You're like, what's the big deal about this guy? 
I thought we, I thought we were going to see some healings. I thought there was going to be some feeding. I like when he fed us. I mean, I've got some burdens. And he's talking about farming. He's not even a farmer. I'm a farmer. I know what he said. This is the worst sermon ever, Jesus. How do I, like, you're not meeting my needs. You're, you're not speaking to my condition. I have financial problems. I have marriage problems. And, and you're going to talk to me about farming? I'm out of here. I, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, you're not meeting my needs. You're not feeding me spiritually. I'm gone. That's what the crowd gets. But in verse 10, the crowd changes. In verse 10, it says, The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? First of all, one of the beautiful things about that is it exposes what Jesus is talking about. It exposes the hearts of the disciples. Now, the disciples weren't the smartest guys. They weren't the, the brightest guys. They weren't the more, most morally upright. They weren't the most religious, astute guys. But, but we see something about their hearts in this moment that, that, that Jesus is inviting all of us, if he's inviting you to anything, is to have that kind of heart. Why? I, I want to know more. Like, like Jesus, we, we don't get it. And I love the disciples because they're not the sharpest crowns in the box. And I'm not the sharpest crown in the box. And so there's times where I'm like, I don't get it, Lord. I, I don't understand why you're, what you're saying or doing. But, but their heart is revealed and they're like, why? Please help us. And Jesus is, before he unpacks that, he's going to show us a truth about all spiritual truths. He's going to show us that, that if you respond to the light you have, more light is given to you spiritually. If you deny the light that is, is given to you, if you turn away from that, you go into darkness. And so this is what Jesus is going to say to them. When they ask, why do you speak in parables? He says, he answered them. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. So on the, uh, at the first reading of that, you see, okay, we're starting to see this, this tension in Scripture with, with God's divine sovereignty. This is a gift to you. It's been given to you to know the secrets, or the word there is mis- mysterious, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And again, immediately, sometimes maybe you, you, you land there, and you're like, that's what I believe. Maybe you're like, man, that sounds unfair. But Jesus isn't actually saying anything about that. He's, he's simply explaining what's already gone on in the hearts of people. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll unpack it a little bit more. Verse 12. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. Again, this is that, that principle uh, of will you respond to what God is saying in your life? Will you apply it? Will you, uh, will you treasure it? Or will it land on your heart and turn away? He says when you do that, you're going into one of two directions. You're going into more towards uh, eternity in the kingdom or you're going down, down into darkness, into hell. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. This is is what often we talk about, the tension between the the divine sovereignty of God, which means God is sovereign over all things, every every choice that we make, everything in the universe, as R.C. Sproul would say, there are no maverick molecules in the universe, and 
the clear biblical teaching throughout Scripture that humans are responsible. The choices you make, how you respond to the light you receive, you are going to be held responsible for that. And in our minds, it's a paradox because it seems like they're at odds with one another. God's divine sovereignty and our human responsibility. And Jesus says to the disciples, it's been given to you, but it hasn't been given to them. But it's revealed by they want more light and the crowds do not. So, I've got a few quotes for you this morning. Actually, I've got two Spurgeon quotes and one C.S. Lewis quote. So this is a five-star sermon. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon was once asked how he could reconcile the apparent contradiction between these two truths. He, He replied, and I have it on the screen. I never have to reconcile friends. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility have never had a falling out with each other. I do not need to reconcile what God has joined together. Our Finite minds might not have the capacity to understand that, but these are two clear teachings in the Bible, and we shouldn't wrestle too much with them, that, that there is gifts from God, and we have human responsibility. Spurgeon will go on in another sermon, and he'll say this, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. So Spurgeon was absolutely confident in the proclamation of the gospel, in the preaching of the word. Jesus is going to go on and quote Isaiah, but but there's another place in Isaiah where Isaiah reminds us that God's word will never return void. Now, what we usually think about when we hear that is we think, oh, well, you know, I shared the gospel with my grandfather and he didn't accept it, but maybe in a few years it's gonna, he's going to come back and he's, because that seed was planted and he's going to come and rejoice in his Savior. But then grandpa dies and there's no evidence of that. And you're like, well, Lord, I thought you said your word would never return void. And he says, it won't. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Well, what do you mean, Lord. Jesus is revealing that when the gospel goes out and every time I open the word, it is accomplishing something in this room. It is either softening your heart to the things of God or it is going to be used as as a testimony against you for God's righteous wrath in your rejection of his mercy and grace to you. It's going to accomplish its purposes. I I pray and I beg, Lord, would would your purposes be primarily to soften people's hearts? That's my prayer. But I know you will be glorified even as people will reject you and go away in the proclamation of your word. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. So the first thing Jesus has to say about this parable of the soils is to the disciples. He's like, look, be careful how you hear. This has been given to you. Respond, act on what you hear when the kingdom's word goes out. And then Jesus quotes 
says this is actually in fulfillment with, with what Isaiah has said. And in Isaiah, well, we won't get into it, but Isaiah chapter 6, he gets this vision of the glory of God. And then, then he says, who will I send? And Isaiah is like, send me. And then God says to Isaiah, hey, I'm going to send you and you're going to speak and they're going to see, but they're not going to hear and they're actually not going to see. And that will be a testimony against them on the last day. That's your ministry, Isaiah. And Jesus says, that's my ministry. That's why these these massive crowds that are coming out to see me right now, while most of them will go away and never know me. But you, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. So let's unpack it. He says, but blessed are your, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There are things of eternal weight and eternal glory that the disciples are encountering with Jesus right now and that you are as well. So then for them and for us, he begins to explain. But again, Let's, let's pause and think. There are four types of soil. Now, now, the point isn't that, you know, the first one's bad, second one's kind of bad, that's like a C, D plus, the third one's like a C plus, and, and the, the last one's an A plus, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying that there is only one kind of soil that is actually eternal soil, the good soil. Some look like it for a time, but in the end, Their soil is exposed for what it is. And so Jesus begins to explain to them. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, Many of us at different times and different seasons of our life have different kinds of soil of our hearts. We've probably all been there at some point. Where the things of God, the word of God has come, it's landed, and you give the big whatever, I don't care. You, you don't want to know, you don't want to internalize, you don't want to apply it, and so uh, it, it just kind of gets picked off, as Jesus says. But did you notice something else is at work there? He says the evil one comes and snatches it away. That There is a spiritual dynamic that, that we in the West don't like to talk about, think about too much, but there is an actual warfare spiritually that is going on in this room and on the patio right now. And the, the enemy wants to still kill and destroy everything about the word of God in your life. And he says, that's one kind of soil. Probably not represented too much in this room, more uh, of the next kind. Uh, it says, Verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this, one, this is the one who hears the word with, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately fall, he falls away. So this, notice something here. They receive it with joy. By all accounts, if you ask them in that moment, are you a follower of Jesus? They would say, absolutely, I'm a follower of Jesus. Love Jesus. My life has been transformed. It's been changed. Jesus has helped me. He's he's dealt with me. I I went to this church and it said, Jesus can fix your marriage. And so I'm all in on Jesus. Jesus can fix your finances. I'm all in on that. Jesus can can make you healthy and wealthy. Uh, I'm all in on that. I I like that. But, But as... As life 
happens, we realize very quickly that Jesus hasn't come to fix your life. He hasn't come to necessarily make your life better and easier. In fact, if we're reading the Gospel of Matthew rightly, more times than not, Jesus has come to wreck your life, to call you to die, to to suffer and enter into his glory forever. And when those things begin to become apparent, when Jesus, Jesus isn't fixing your marriage, isn't helping you in your finances, isn't doing all the things that you thought he would do for you, many people will just fall away at that point. I've been there, done that, tried that, don't anything with that. Furthermore, he says, when trouble, trials and persecution come, again, this isn't, at least in this moment, something that we necessarily deal with unless you call a, a dislike on your Facebook post persecution. But for most of the world, for other parts of the world, in the last hundred years, more people have spilled their blood for the cause of Christ than the previous 1900 years combined. And so Jesus has been very clear. It is costly to follow me. It's going to cost you. And sometimes when you see the cost, you're like, I'm out. I I don't want anything to do with that. But again, I, I don't think that's maybe the most representative. The one that scares me the most is the third kind of soil. I think our churches, I think in this room, I think we are full of this kind of soil because it can look so much like the real thing. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. And then he says two things. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. They're lost. He says there's two things that, that, that this kind of soil represents. There, there is just the cares of the world. I mean, there are cares. We all have, like, I'm, I'm aware that all of us bring into this room baggage, hopes, dreams, experiences, failures, sins. Uh, like, we, we have a lot. Uh, so much so that it is very easy, like a black hole, to turn away from the light of the gospel and begin to just collapse in on ourselves, collapse in on our cares, collapse in on our problems, and become so consumed by that that there is no joy, there is no hope, there's no worship, there's no future orientation. There's no sacrifice for the kingdom because after all, you've got cares and concerns. And so Jesus says that's why a lot of people will eventually walk away. The cares of this world. Man, 2020, if there are cares of this world, this is the year, right? 2020. On July 8th, Barna, the the research, church research group came out with a report uh, the report was titled, what, what did they title that? Just the title of it. One in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. So, so, so one in three people that, that we're practicing, we're regular, we're engaged in community, whether their churches are meeting with masks on or online, they've dropped off the radar completely. And we've seen that here. We've seen that. Uh, I, I helped shepherd 11 other Acts 29 churches in Colorado. Uh, just people are just dropping off. Like, I'm disconnected. Like, what happened? Well, COVID happened and I don't want anything to do with church anymore. I kind of like not having to go on Sunday. And, and uh, I've got my own cares. And the mountains are calling. And like, there's stuff that I've got going on. So a third, half... Half of all millennials have dropped out of church altogether, disconnected from any faith family altogether in the last four months. 
Only one-third of people are are actually uh, connected with the church that they were connected to before COVID-19. I mean, it's just a massive disruption. But historically speaking, COVID-19 is not that big of a deal. And yet it can wipe out a third of those that would call themselves followers of Christ. Be careful how you hear. Be careful how you cultivate the soil of your heart. But he says something else. The deceitfulness of riches. He he doesn't say the evil of riches. Jesus, when he refers to money, it's always in this term that, that money in and of itself is not bad. It can be very, very good, but it is very, very deceptive. It it tells us things that are not true of of our lives and and the universe and eternity. So, So, for example, we live in Douglas County in 2020, in the most wealthy country in the history of the world, and one of the most wealthy counties in that country, and we all convince each other that we're middle class. Because if we're just middle class, we're just trying to get by. And because we're middle class, you know, we're, we haven't really arrived yet. We, if we just get a little bit more, maybe a little bit more, then we'll be satisfied. That's why American Christians in any measurable way give only up to about 3% of their wealth away. Because there's a massive disconnect between our finances and what the kingdom living is like. And so uh, Jesus says it's deceitful. It it will lead you down paths that will eventually lead you away from the Lord. And it can be good things, great things. So, for example, I just wrote a few of Busy kids' schedules or sports schedules, endless entertainment options, new cars, countless investments, the camper, the boat, the mountain house, the timeshare, 10,000 hobbies, and the newest and latest equipment to go along, a bigger house, a family vacation. The list can go on and on of all really, really good things. But have you ever stopped and thought, is this deceiving me? Have you ever had that sense where, man, the more stuff I own, the more it seems to own me and my time and my affections? Do you ever feel that? Jesus says, be careful. Be careful of the deceitfulness of wealth. I can spend, and my family knows, I love crunch, crunching numbers. I love investments. I can, I can spend days like plotting the course to whatever the next thing I want financially and being responsible and all that. I could spend days like that giving my attention and my focus to good things. But I have never just stopped and be like, Lord, is this deceiving my soul? Is this good for my heart to get a, another thing, to, to get another hobby? Is this... Is this doing anything for me? And Jesus says, be careful. It will eventually lead you astray. And so he goes on. He says, there is a kind of soil that is the soil of true disciples. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it by implication, applies it to their lives. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Jesus says, oh, oh, when you are a disciple and the soil of your heart is good, when you hear it and apply it, the fruit of your life begins to bear itself out. But Jesus doesn't answer us what that fruit is. There are actually a lot of things in the scripture that we could point to. And so uh, 
by way of just kind of context, uh, I think at the very least it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So, so is, that, is that bearing fruit in your life? I, I think the fruit of the Spirit is just... Uh, taking the word of God and say, okay, I'm going to be faithful in prayer. I'm going to be faithful in loving God and loving my neighbor. I'm going to be faithful in evangelism. I'm going to be faithful uh, to, to, with my finances. This is bearing fruit in a thousand ways. But I do think it's interesting that he says there's a hundredfold, there's 60, and there's 30. That I think there's two ways to understand that. One is just what maybe Paul says in Romans chapter 12. We've been given different gifts and different measures and different capacities I know there are many that, 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 are, that are preachers and teachers that are far more gifted and have a far higher capacity than me. So, so that could be part of it. But I also think it just is, it's just that, that we go through ups and downs. Like that there are times in our lives where we are, are attuned to the Spirit and the Spirit's fruit comes in our life. And there are other times where our soil kind of looks like the other soil. And so some have a hundred some have 60, some have 30. But Jesus' point is true disciples bear fruit. True disciples bear fruit. It is the nature of a disciple to bear fruit, just like it's the nature of a cheetah to run fast. It's not the nature of true disciples to simply be spectators, never applying the things to their lives, never living it out in any sort of way. Jesus says, be very careful. That reveals something about your hearts. And the soil of your heart. And so, just want to, between you and the Lord right now, ask yourself, how do you hear? Is there any eagerness to hear the Word of God? Is there any eagerness to to apply the Word of God? to, To look at your life and look at the Word and see where there's disconnect? Is there any pondering of eternal things? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, actually, I've never done that. Well, even that is God's grace to you this this morning. This could be the moment where you're like, yes, there are eternal things at play and I've been giving myself away to all these other things for so long. And Jesus says, it has been given to you. If you hear his voice, respond. And so just think about that. And then as, 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 as a faith family, the promise here is if we hear and apply, if we actually seek, Lord, we, we want more understanding. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power in our lives. If we actually do that, the promise is that the Spirit will bear his good fruit for the glory of God and the joy of all people. If we really want to impact uh, our family and our neighbors and, our, and this city, then we have to be good hearers of the word. And to that end, let me pray for us for this week. So, Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that even as you revealed maybe hearts that, that aren't that fourth kind of soil, Lord, you're gracious. Your arm is not too short to save. And so I pray, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself. Draw them to a, a life of discipleship that bears much fruit. Lord, I pray for our faith family. Lord, help us to encourage one another, spur one another on, and just help one another just see the eternal realities that are at stake in our hearing. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.